Hello, hello, all of my beautiful freaking people. Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Today, we are getting into some drinking. Cocktails, Gabrielle? Why no, we are actually discussing the pressures around drinking these days. Sit back. I mean, maybe grab a cocktail, maybe like a little mocktail for today. And welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. All right, y'all. Today... I have on the show Miss Sarah Levy. She wrote a memoir called Drinking Games. It was on Amazon's editor's pick. It was on Good Morning America. It's been on Time Magazine. Like it's been everywhere. And her story and the way that she wrote this book, I felt, was very similar to how I wrote Eat Pray FML. It's very like fun and conversational and like just a good time. But what she went through was a very like serious topic that I don't feel gets spoken enough about. And I loved doing this interview with her because we really got to dig into the pressures around social drinking. We also get into some of our own horror stories of horrible fucked up shit that we've <laughs> done when we've been under the influence um, that we are not super proud of. And it was so funny. I feel safe saying this now because we recorded this back in, I think, February or March. And at the end of the interview, like once we stopped recording, we both looked at each other and we were like, you kind of like look like shit. <laughs> like respectfully, <laughs> are you going through something? And realized we were both pregnant and she was like, I think a couple weeks behind me and we were like, ah, yes, that's the the glow that I'm seeing on your face. And by glow, I mean you look fucking miserable. Um, and I'm I'm sending huge love and congrats to her on making it through <laughs> um, now that we are at the uh, the end of our journeys with this uh, this crazy 10 months that we've been experiencing. Um, this episode is so good. There's so much fun content in it, but it's also a very serious topic of her reaching a point in her life where she knew she needed to take her life back and get sober. And that is such an important conversation to be having if you have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. So I hope you all listen to this with an open mind and seeing if any of that resonates with you to make some changes in your own lives. I do want to point out, although I don't know if this is really a trigger warning. Um, I feel like this whole show, like if you are a listener of FML Talk, you just come prepared that there might be some random triggers in each episode. But we do try and point them out for you ahead of time. We do talk about times in our lives where we were too intoxicated to necessarily consent, but our feelings around that 
personally. So if you have any like super hardcore triggers around that, I just want to let you know that topic does get brought up and we do discuss our own personal experiences, our personal feelings on, you know, how that can come into play when you're talking about being out and partying with alcohol. So let's uh, dive into today's episode. Here's Sarah. Sarah Levy, welcome to FML Talk, girl. I'm excited to dig into this conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk. You are so welcome. Let's just start with giving everybody a little bit of your backstory before we get into this incredible book that you wrote. And like, I know it's a hot topic, so I'm excited to kind of dig in, but let's like take everyone back to the beginning and kind of give everyone an overview of how it is you got here. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm 33 years old. I live in Los Angeles now. Um, I'm originally from New York. And, you know, I am a millennial. I grew up in a very like work hard, play hard culture. And really, it was just of the mindset that as long as my outsides looked okay, like as long as I was, you know, wearing the right clothes or had the right friends or was getting good grades and then going to the right college and then have the right job. Like it meant that I was okay. And I was like just a very anxious control freak and like a perfectionist. And when I first started drinking, I was, you know, 15, 16, I drank at a party with friends, like, and I immediately kind of understood the appeal of alcohol. It just like turned the volume down on all those voices that have just been like going on a loop in my brain since Mm. like for as long as I can remember. And, you know, I embarked on this toxic relationship with alcohol in which I had a very hard time moderating my drinking and was often kind of the drunk girl at the party, the one who was blacking out and, you know, embarrassing myself. And I just didn't know, you know, any other way. Like that was just kind of how I drank. And it was very much fun at certain times and then fun with a lot of consequences later on, like into my 20s. And after college, I moved back to to New York City and just spent the next few years like really desperate to find a way to drink in like a socially acceptable way. I thought of myself as this party girl and, you know, like needed alcohol to celebrate, needed alcohol to go on dates, to be with my friends. It was just a really big part of how I can come to view myself in the world and how I you know thought about my identity. And um, I ended up getting sober at 28 and wrote a book about it all, which is called Drinking Games. And that's just a little bit of, you know, my story and, and my background to how to how I got here. There's a lot more, obviously. But yeah, yeah. There. <laughs> I, I love the title. It's so great. And So I guess let's go back to when the drinking was really bad. When did you realize like, oh, this is a problem. This isn't what other people are necessarily dealing with, with their relationship with alcohol. Yeah. So I think like drinking, partying, it was all very normalized. And like I said, it was fun, you know, in certain instances. I think after college, I really started to notice that my hangovers were different from Mm. the people in my life. My roommates, for example, we would go out together and the next morning they would wake up and 
go to a workout class or go to brunch. And I would just be dead for two days, just lying in bed, so hungover, you know, headache, depressed. I was just really affected by alcohol. Mm. And at that point, I started to kind of think about like, is everyone drinking the same amount as me? You know, and I always thought that like we were all getting equally drunk. And what I learned over those next few years was, you know, some of the people that I was with had the ability to have like two glasses of wine and then stop. Other friends of mine were partying and staying out late and wanted to go out dancing and, you know, have fun but we're like switching to water at some point in the night or we're having water in between drinks, right? And I started to notice that for me, like when I drank, it was always in excess. And I had struggled with an eating disorder in high school. And, you know, now in retrospect, I can very much like see that there was a correlation between the two, like Mm. much like I had a very hard time like eating in a, you know, balanced way, had a hard time with my alcohol consumption in the same way. It was always extreme. I was either like restricting my food or binging. And Mm -hmm. then with alcohol, I was either like, okay, I'm not going to drink at all tonight or I'm blacking out. And like, it's very hard for me to stop once I've started. And so I just became more aware of those patterns into my Mm twenties. Unfortunately, like awareness wasn't enough for me. Like even once I was aware of it, it didn't really, I I couldn't change it. It was just once I started to drink and once alcohol was in my system, it was really hard for me to stop. Yeah. I'm, I'm smiling as you're talking about this, not because it's a lighthearted topic at all, but because I resonate with so much of it. I struggled with bulimia in my like later high school years and early 20s and can also see the correlation of my excessive drinking. My drinking in high school was pretty light. I wasn't like super like go to all the parties and get super drunk. I had like tried it and, you know, experimented with it, but I lost my high school sweetheart when I was 18. He passed in a car accident. And after that, it was like all of us, you know, that knew him and the other kid that had passed away in the in the accident. It was like all of us were at parties and everybody was drinking. And at first I was like, I'm not doing any substance stuff because I'm grieving and like that's going to spiral me. And then once I healed a little bit in my mind, not actually healed, then I started kind of introducing alcohol and it quickly became introducing alcohol to blacking out four to five nights a week. And Mm -hmm. my hangovers are like, it doesn't matter if I'm supposed to go see the president the next day, like I'm not going. I'm going from my bed to the toilet to puke. And then maybe around 5 p.m. I'll get my shit together and eat some pasta. Like it was really severe. Yeah. And I can see the correlation of like, you know, needing to control the eating in such a way and either being like one extreme or the other, which I very much so was. And, you know, in the relation to alcohol, like not having any of the control and just like drinking in excess. So I relate to that a lot. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's exactly what my hangovers were like too. Just like, it doesn't matter what plans I've made. I would like make these grand plans drunk, especially for like all the things I was going to do the next day. And yeah, I couldn't show up for any of it. And Mm. it became really frustrating because it was easy enough to like write off when I was 22, 23, 24. Right. But 
I got sober a few days after 28th birthday. So it was, it was very much like on the heels of this, the last few years of just like trying really hard to just tell myself that every year would be different. And every birthday in particular, I always told myself like this year will be different. I'm not going to black out every time I drink and I'm not going to waste my time just being hungover all the time because I felt like, you know, I had goals and things that I wanted to accomplish and I just couldn't, I couldn't get my shit together. Like I couldn't make anything happen for myself because I was either drunk or like in bed until like exactly what you're saying, like five or six o'clock. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. Was there a moment where you felt like you can look back and be like, that was a rock bottom moment where either you did something when you were blacked out or somebody told you about something after the fact that you were like, okay, shit has to change because this is like not who I am. In retrospect, I had quite a few rock bottom moments, but they weren't my bottom. Like they weren't the last time that I drank. So I woke up in the hospital a couple of times after like really bad nights and like I had like cut my arm in a blackout, like had, I fell and um, my friend took me to the hospital. That was like the first time that I woke up um, in the hospital, didn't remember it at all or how I had gotten there. And then, you know, I also had just, I had nights where I would wake up and not know who I was next to and not right. know what we had done. And like, yep. that was scary. You know, those were moments where I was like, I don't love this. Like I'm not feeling yeah. great about the decisions that I made that led me here. I had a very good friend who essentially ended our friendship over my drinking and and was just like, you know, it's really hard to be around you. So these events happened over the course of like a four-year period. And what's sort of funny is my last night drinking was not my worst. It was not like the messiest. I went out. It was a Friday night. I had plans the next day. The next morning, I had booked a workout class and had every intention of going. This is like a New York City $36 workout class. I'm like, if mm-hmm. I paid for it, I'm, I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I went out with my with my boss at the time. I was working at a startup and everyone was young. And um, we went, had dinner and then some of his friends came and met us. And we all went out to like a 
a bar and I woke up the next morning next to one of his friends and didn't remember anything about how we had gotten there or what had happened. And I was just so embarrassed that the thought that like my boss had seen me like this. And, um, and I'd been drunk with my boss before. Like it was, like I said, we were all young and, you know, happy hours were a frequent occurrence. Like we had seen each other drunk, but there was something about being so vulnerable and being next to his friend in his friend's bed and being like, I am so ashamed. I did not want to go home with this person. That was my last night drinking. And I don't even really know why, because it wasn't the worst night. It was just in that moment I was done. And there was just something that kind of shifted in me where I was just like, I'm really sick and tired of feeling this way. And of telling myself that it's going to be different when it's not. And I missed right. my workout class. And I was just like, $36 down the drain. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm a joke. Like I, I like, and I had just turned 28. It was my new year, my fresh start, like right. it was going to be different. And four days into, you know, mm-hmm. my 28th year, I'm like doing the same thing. So right. were you it was a lot of little rock bottoms that led to that. Right. Right. Were you like the girl that was drunk out? Like she's very clearly drunk and like he should not be taking her home. Like what is happening? Like she needs to go home and sleep this off. Or were you kind of like the covertly sneaky drunk? Because when I go out, when I went out, let's be very clear, I don't get like this anymore. But when I would be blacked out drunk and there have been times where I've, you know, gone home with someone who I was hanging out with that night. I remember one time specifically someone that I was friends with that I like knew who knew me as a person and woke up in his bed the next morning and we had had sex and I had no fucking recollection of it. And I remember him looking Mm -hmm. at me and being like, you weren't even that drunk when I came to pick you up. And I was like, "Mm." I just apparently like when I get super drunk, like I just become a more heightened fun version of myself, but you can't necessarily tell how drunk I really am, which is really dangerous when you're in the, you know, party 20s, like going home with people stage. Which one did you fall under? Yeah. So being in a blackout is so weird because I was often standing upright, having conversations with people like... I appeared to be like, I I was conscious. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's weird is like, most people can't tell they are in a blackout, but, and I don't know exactly like what state I was in that night because I never really spoke to anyone about it who was like with us, but from conversations with my friends, what I've been told is that like, it was obvious when I was very drunk because like my eyes were totally empty. I would be asking the same questions over and over again. I fell down a lot. I was like, I often was like swaying. I like got injured a lot when I was drunk because I would trip in my like heels. So I would say like maybe this person who had never met me before and didn't know me very well thought that like, that's just how I was when I was drinking. But my friends and people who knew me would always be able to tell. I think like once yeah. I had crossed that threshold, and they'd be like, "Okay, Sarah needs to go home. She's right. asked us the same question ten times. Like she's right. slurring her words, and like she can barely stand." Yeah, and I feel like that's normal. I guess I'm on the other end of it because, like, I mean, there was a time that's written about in my second book where I went home with my ex, and I don't. I mean, I look, let's be clear. I had every intention on going home and doing exactly what we did, but 
mm-hmm. by the time we got to that bed, like I, I have no recollection of that. And he was so like, when he found that out the next day, he was like, wait, what do you were not that drunk? And like, this is someone who knew me and had been around me sober, not sober. He was like, you, there's no way like that you were that drunk. And so it's, it's a scary thing when people, especially in the times that we're into like right now with like consent Mm -hmm. and, you know, making sure that everybody's on the same page with things. It's really scary when like someone thinks that, you know, you're wanting to do something and like very like clear minded and you're actually not. It is. And, you know, to be very clear, like I take full responsibility for the situations that I found myself in, you know, but I totally agree with you. I think it is a really, it's like murky territory because even if I was like verbally consenting and flirting back and like wanting in that moment for things to go a certain way. The next day when I was sober and in my right mind, I was like, wait, I didn't want any of that to happen. And don't remember what I did and wasn't actually in my body for like whatever happened between us. So it's confusing. And it's a gray area for sure. It is. Yeah, it really is. Um, And unfortunately, like I think a lot of men and women have experience in this area because we just don't, you know, we don't really talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an important point to bring up that it's like, I've definitely put myself in situations where I haven't been of the mind to necessarily consent or, you know, do what happened. However, I know that in my drunken state, I was probably not only perpetuating it, but probably initiating it in a lot of ways. So that's right. That can no longer be like, you should have known better. That's your fault in any regard. Like I don't put any blame on the person on the other end that I was with, but it's definitely a great territory. And then getting into what that does to your subconscious when your sober self wakes up and you're like, okay, why, why did my body experience all of these things that like my brain soberly didn't want? It's, it's a really slippery slope. It is. Yeah. And then your sober brain is sort of left to like deal with the consequences, right? Like, did we use a condom? Like, you know, like, who is this person? Like, did we have conversations? Right? Like, yeah, that's a really tough spot to be in where like your drunk self got you into a situation where that now your sober self has to like kind of clean up the mess around it. Totally. 100%. So when you decided to get sober, what did that look like for you to kind of take me through that thought process and those steps? So yeah, I'm 28. I don't know anyone who doesn't drink at the time. I don't know anyone who's sober. I have no idea really what getting sober in my 20s looks like. But I know from the last few years of trying to moderate my drinking unsuccessfully, that something has to change. And so I was like, armed with this conviction that I needed to stop drinking, even though like I really had no idea what was on the other side. And I'd been in therapy for a few years and would sort of like dance around the subject of my drinking. Like I was comfortable talking about being anxious or feeling depressed. And you know, I, I was high functioning. So I would go to workout classes in the morning and go to my job and then go to, you know, dinners with friends and tell my therapist, like, I don't know why I'm so anxious after having had six drinks the night before. So when I, when it kind of hit me, like in that moment, okay, something needs to change, you need to get sober. I started with 
going to therapy, you know, and having like an honest conversation about like what had actually been going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt pretty confident in the fact that I would not be able to stay sober on my own. And so I ended up looking for groups, you know, there are a lot of 12 step programs and recovery groups. And I found a group of like young women who, you know, met weekly in my neighborhood. I was living in Brooklyn at the time and I couldn't believe it. I remember walking into that room for the first time and seeing these women who were young and like smiling and they had friends, like they were talking about their job. They were, some of them were married and in relationships. And I just couldn't believe that there was this world that existed where women in their like 20s and 30s were not drinking and were like not just surviving, but they were, they were happy. They seemed right. to like really be thriving. And so that was, you know, that was where I started. And I didn't tell anyone in my life for some people like, a couple of months, others almost a year that I was not drinking. I took the like anonymity part of it very seriously because I was really ashamed. And to be clear, the anonymity portion of like recovery is wonderful and it is there for a reason. For me, I was just like not even telling my parents that I was not drinking because mm. I was so embarrassed and felt like this was such a shameful secret. And so I felt like I was kind of living a double life for a little while. You know, I would be going to meetings and telling like my college friends that I was going out with work friends and telling work friends that I was going out with college friends and Mm. um, telling my parents that I was like working late or whatever. And I remember after like a couple of months, I started to feel really good. I started to, I was sleeping better. I was less anxious. I was just getting things done. Like I was just starting to you know, have a little bit more self-esteem because I was just like showing up for things when I said I would. And slowly I started to tell people who I felt, you know, comfortable and safe with that I had stopped drinking. And it was really funny. Like I thought people were going to have such strong reactions and try to talk me out of it and tell me that like, I didn't have a problem because I had an idea in my head of what it looked like to have a drinking problem. You know, Mm -hmm. I was, I was young and, and functional and I thought you had to be like much older and kind of have lost everything to have a real alcohol problem and need to get sober. And so I thought that people would sort of like argue with me or try to talk me out of it. And most people were just like, that's great. Yeah. Like, <laughs> cool. You know, mm-hmm. so they were like, I don't, we don't like, we care about this doesn't change anything. This doesn't change. You know, we love you. And it was a huge relief. And I think slowly, that shame and that fear started to chip away. And I started to feel really proud of myself the longer that I that I stuck with with sobriety. What do you think about because we live in a society and a culture, especially in New York, but in LA as well, where it's like so many activities that are social activities revolve around drinking. It's like, let's go to happy hour or let's go to dinner. And like that always involves people drinking or let's go out to a bar. And it's become this like pressured situation where you suddenly feel like the outsider. If you're like, cool, yeah, I'll come to the club and dance, but like, I'm not going to drink. I've been that girl. I'm always the one that's dancing the most when I'm sober (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like lasting the longest and feeling the best. And 
what do you think it's like being sober in a society that bases so much of their social aspects around drinking? I mean, that was, you hit it on the head. That was like my biggest question mark when I got sober because I was living in New York and I was going out all the time. And those first few months, like I remember going out and like ordering shots of water and taking mm-hmm. shots of water when like people were taking tequila shots or whatever. Like I felt like there was a spotlight on me and that everyone knew that I wasn't drinking. And then as I became more comfortable with it, I was sort of like, okay, no, no one's paying attention to me, but like, how do I feel in these situations? And I think it just is, it varies, right? Like it's, it's a case by case basis. There are certain nights and there were certain events where I genuinely wanted to go out. I wanted to, like, I love live music. I wanted to go to shows or to like go out dancing with friends. Weddings were a big one where like I was genuinely happy for, you know, my friends getting married and wanted to celebrate. So in those instances, like if I had a good reason for being there and wanted to be there, I, could have so much fun regardless of whether or not I was drinking. But what also was interesting was finding myself in some spaces where I'd spent a lot of time when I was drinking, like bars that I went to every week or, you know, hanging out with groups of people who I'd always gone out drinking with and realizing like, I actually don't think I'm having fun. Mm. I don't really enjoy this. And I think that there are spaces where I can be around alcohol and like, it doesn't bother me. And I really am still having fun, right? If the music's good, if I'm dancing, if the company's good, like I don't think about drinking anymore. And you can very much still have fun without alcohol wherever you are. But I think what I started to uh, like discover was that I was drinking in a lot of situations because I wasn't actually like happy to be there and I wasn't really having fun. And I think that like being sober and still going out and, you know, engaging in some of like those places and like being a part of the culture, it's just an exercise in like really being honest with yourself about, you know, you know, sort of like with dating, I was always worried, like, does this person like me? Like, is this person going to validate me? And Mm -hmm. right. And I had to really shift my thinking to like, do I like that? Like, do I like this person? And, it, right. and I think it was similar with going out and like being around alcohol. You know, it was like, do I really want to be here? Do I have a good reason to be here? Am I having fun? Or can I, do I just want to go home? And it really like depended on, on the circumstance, on how, on how I felt and like continues to be that way. Yeah, totally. Have you wanted to be like, okay, is there a way to change my relationship with alcohol? Can I go out and have one or two drinks? Or is it like I'm never touching it again? I really take it one day at a time. I never say never. I have no idea like what will happen in a year or two years, whatever. For today, I just feel so much better without alcohol. Like I truly feel like my life has just continued to change and get better and better since I stopped drinking that I'm not like, I know where drinking led me. Like I know exactly where one or two glasses took me and how Mm -hmm. I would feel. And just like the, for me, like it never really worked for me. Like it never, I never processed alcohol, I think in the way that like someone else can. So I feel like I'm not necessarily curious to like add it back to my life just because I feel so good without it. Yeah. I mean, Tay and I never, we don't drink in excess 
really like for the last couple of years, we would have like maybe a glass or two of wine on a weekend dinner. But I, you know, never during the week. And like, it was just like not really a big part of our lives. But recently, like, the pat well by the time this airs everyone will know why i haven't been drinking but even before i got pregnant um, <laughs> i was not drinking for congratulations. like congratulations thank you thank you but even before i knew i was pregnant i hadn't drank in like 3 or 4 months with the exception of my birthday when we went to like a wine bar and i just like i would go out to dinner with friends and they'd be like oh you're not drinking and like it always had to be like why? And it was like, well, first of all, why does there need to be a reason? Stop asking people why. It's like the same thing as like, don't ask people like why they haven't had kids yet. Like there's so many reasons, like let's not put a spotlight on it. But for me, I just felt better. Like I just physically felt so much better. And that was even like not drinking in excess. That was drinking like maybe once or twice a week. Mm -hmm. And so for me to feel that like change within myself in like my physical body and like my mental clarity, I can't even imagine what it would be for someone who was drinking in excess to then cut all of that out. Like it really can be like a life-changing switch that happens for sure. Yeah, it really was. And I think, you know, sometimes I look back and been sober five and a half years now. And and I think, you know, I was really young. My life has changed so much. I'm married now. I live in LA. Like, what would it be like if I drank? Of course, I have those thoughts sometimes. But I really just think back to like, who I was when I was drinking and how I don't think I would have what I do today if I had been drinking that whole time. I don't think this transformation would have been possible. And so I'm really curious about like, what's next to come. Yeah. I feel like to start drinking again now, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious about like what else is possible yeah. without alcohol, given how good it's been up until this point. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you yeah. decide that you wanted to write the book that has done like so well, it's gotten so much attention already and it's been really impactful, I know, for a lot of people. So what made you decide that you wanted to put all this to paper? Well, thank you for that. So it's funny, right? Like thinking back to that first year of sobriety where I kept it a secret from like my closest friends to now I've literally written a tell-all memoir right, and I'm right. so public <laughs> about being sober to the point where I feel like sometimes my friends are like, we get it. Like you don't drink. Um, <laughs> you know, I, like I said, I started to feel really proud of myself and just more and more comfortable in my own skin. And I'd always loved writing. I was an English major in college and always kept journals. And I started going back and reading through my old journals in early sobriety and was also doing a lot of journaling at the time. And, you know, I would look back at these old entries where I was like really struggling and really remembered like how isolated I felt. And, you know, when I first started thinking about getting sober and then got sober, it was like 2016, 2017. So there were no like sober influencers, sober podcasts, like no one really knew about the sober curious movement. And so it was a very lonely time to be like a 20 something young woman struggling with your relationship with alcohol. And so as I started writing about like just a lot of my firsts in sobriety, like just on my own journaling about them first dates, like sober sex, telling my friends, all of it. I just started to think like, I wonder if there's something here. I wonder if there's someone who would want to read this. Like I would have wanted to read something like this. And I'd always like looked to books for answers. And I remember looking and reading a lot of like books about alcohol and books about drinking. And there are some amazing ones. And I remember like I could really relate to a lot of the depictions of 
the blackouts and like the messy nights, but I couldn't find a book that was about sobriety. And that was about like, what happened next? You know, mm-hmm. what did life look like without alcohol? And that was sort of the the origin of the idea for drinking games was I wanted to write a book of not only about my struggles with alcohol and, you know, what that had looked like, but all the ways in which my life opened up and continued to just get better once yeah. I stopped drinking. Well, and I think what's so powerful about your book is that it's kind of similar into the way that I wrote mine. It's written as a memoir. So you're kind of going through all of these like crazy fucked up scenarios with us, the author. It doesn't feel like it's like this. Here's a self-help book of how you're going to fix your life and figure your shit out. But because we're doing that in the pages of the book, like people inevitably come along for the ride with us. And it makes it Mm -hmm. so less scary to do the work and to go on the healing journey when it's not like sit down and read about how you're going to fix yourself. Exactly. And I remember like when I first started talking to publishers, some feedback that I got was like, can we make this prescriptive? Can this be like a how to get sober or like self-help? And I was like, no, I don't have yeah. all the answers. Like this is, these are my experiences. This is what it was like for me. This is how I got sober. I'm not here to tell anyone how to get sober or like what to do. But I think to your point, like there is something powerful about reading and rooting for someone as they figure yeah. things out and like seeing yourself in the pages and thinking totally. like, oh, maybe I could do this too. Yeah. And you resonate with what they're going through. And therefore you're like, oh, maybe I should think about that in my own experience and how I can apply that to my life. So I think it's brilliant that it's written in that way. Sarah, this has been so amazing. Thank you for being so vulnerable and open with us. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online and where they can get a copy of Drinking Games? Yeah, this was great. Thank you for having me. You can find me on Instagram at Sarah L. Levy. And my website is sarahllevy.com. You can find more information about drinking games there and you can purchase it wherever books are sold. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. I so appreciate it. Thank you. I want to thank Sarah so much for coming on and opening up about her life and her book and her journey. Um, I have had my own you know, dealings with alcohol throughout my life um, and my own relationship that has not always been super healthy at times that I have since really like looked at and rectified. I have had family members that have really struggled with alcoholism in the past. And I know what a serious disease it can be. Um, So if any of this episode resonated with you in that sense today, please take a look at that and really go inward and see if there's some changes that you need to start making to have a healthy relationship with alcohol or to cut that shit out completely. I know we always start off Mel Talk with like grab a cocktail, but like you're always free to grab a mocktail, you guys. Um, Whatever you need to do to keep yourself healthy and happy is what I want for every single one of you. I love you guys and I will see you next week. All right, FMLers, if you don't want to miss an episode, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. And if you're loving the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a review. 
You can keep up with me on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone or the podcast page at FML Talk Podcast. For all the merch and books signed personally by me, you can shop the FML line on eatprayfml.com. And as always, have a fucking self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.